Well, welcome to the Cut for Time podcast here at the Canton United Methodist Church. I'm Pastor Clay, and I'm joined by a very special guest, friend of the podcast, Pastor Peggy Hansen from the Madison United Methodist Church. As I mentioned during the episode last week, uh, we are planning this sermon series with Pastor Peggy, and so uh, we wanted to hop on together to talk about grace. And so, uh, Peggy, hi, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Clay. I think yeah. last time I got to join you, I was in a different church. That's what I was just going to ask. Have we? Have you been on the podcast since you moved? Um, and how did the move go? And um, tell the people where you are now. Uh, I don't think so. I think the last time I was on, I was in Leeds, South Dakota still. And move happens, that's for sure, in June. Uh, made it here. So now I'm in Madison, South Dakota and still figuring out all of the things. Uh, it like, it's this bittersweetness where folks here have gotten comfortable with me. So they're, they forget I've only been here six months. So right. <laughs> like getting through Advent and Christmas, I'm like, what do we do? And now trying to get through Lent or like, as we're preparing for Lent, it's like, what are the traditions I need to be aware of? And they're like, oh, yeah, you don't know that. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> so they're learning about who I am, and I get to learn about them, and it's fun. And I have to tell you, this sermon series is honestly a great way to get to know people and learn what they do or don't know or some of the things that they haven't really thought of before. Sure. Um, so thank you. Like, thank you yeah. for having this crazy idea to do this. And... <laughs> Like, it's been fun. Like, I very much enjoyed this sermon series. Good. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, for those that didn't hear this, I think we talked, Eric and I talked about a little a little bit about this last week. Um, but the sermon series that we're doing right now on demystifying Christian jargon um, happened because I kind of had half of an idea. And I went to a couple of friends of mine in ministry, uh, co-conspirators for the gospel, if you will. Um, and I said, hey, is this a thing or is this not? And then the conversation just kind of uh, blossomed from there. Um, to where we now have the sermon series that we're pre that we're preaching through. Uh, so we started with theology last week. Um, Peggy, just do you, have, do you have any thoughts on the theology sermon? Um, it was really, really good. Uh, I so the the sermon illustration I used was from an interaction that I had with some colleagues, and the comment was, "How long do we preach?" And what that's like. And someone's like, well, I preach a good 45-minute sermon. It's like, and you'll understand this analogy better than even I would. It's like preparing a fine steak where you have to get it seasoned just right and let it marinate in that. And then you got to put it on the grill for just the right amount of time on each side to not only get those grill marks, but get that perfection of cooked medium rare in the steak and then you got to let it rest and then as you cut into it and you got to make sure you have the fixings to go with it but it's a full defined dining experience and i'm like 40 40 45 minutes for 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 a sermon i i'm like 12 so what does that make me the chicken nuggets of like sermons and someone's like well if you're chicken nuggets i'm walking tacos and so like we just kind of rolled with it uh, uh, uh. <laughs> but after after the actual sermon, people walked up and said, you gave us steak. And mm. I was like, oh, okay. Like, And let's be realistic. If you've ever worked in a restaurant, if you can't cook a medium rare steak in 12 minutes, you're doing it wrong. That's, that's fair. Needs, I mean, you know, granted, that's also not the consumption and the prep work. Right. Yeah, but, exactly. 
but I think that's that's what this is for. Like this is the we we serve it up during the sermon. Our job is to do that that prep work. This is where we get to talk about it in your podcast. Yeah. But our sermons should be that grilling and getting plated for folks to ingest. It's I shouldn't do all the work for them. Right. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, it was people have to have do some heavy lifting of their own. Absolutely. Yeah. Right, so I, I really enjoyed it uh, to get to talk about like theology that we're all theologians because we're all studying about the characteristic of God to understand who God is. And there are times in which we plateau in mm. knowing who God is. Yeah. Uh, and that's when those crises of faith really happen. And I think that's also for those who were raised in the church, walk away from the church. Mm. I also recognize there's trauma that also occurs that leads yeah. people to walk away and that's valid. And yeah, so absolutely. is, but when you plateau, and you don't have, when those waves appear in, in the storm, you don't have that anchor. As someone who's, and you you and I have talked about this, we've encountered some decent storms in our lifetimes. Oh yeah, for sure. And having that anchor, so it didn't feel like we were just washed out to sea with nothing, was huge. And Yeah, for sure. And I know that there are those who can do it without, um, with, that, that are not people of faith that don't have that anchor, that they'll find other ways, but... I mean that that's my anchor and I don't think I would have done it without it. Mhm. Mm so, how did yeah, theology go for agree. you? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a really good sermon. Um I kind of had a hard time like wrapping my brain all the way around it. Um just kind of in 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 a preaching context. I opened up by talking about the fact that I did not come like naturally into theology that I spent a year in college studying music education first um, and then just getting to USF and getting to the theology department and then going to an all department meeting two weeks into it to take a 100 question multiple choice test. Oh, rough, rough. Yeah. You know, and just, you know, that's kind of how theology can feel sometimes. You totally. Know, that, like just nailing down who God is to us is a bigger conversation than sometimes we give it credit for. Yes. Yeah. You know, cause okay. like we can talk about cliches and we can talk about, you know, platitudes for who God is, but then it gets into our actual lived experience of wait, who was God in this moment? And how was that different from who God was over here in this other moment of our lives? And right. how is, how cool is it that that's still the same God? That God is big enough for multiple definitions and that God is big enough for when we're just not at our best and can't see who God is. God's going to still be God, even when we don't recognize that. Right. And that's where uh, I pulled in the theologian, Immanuel Kant, who like in seminary, him and I were not besties. But Fair. since then, at least on this subject, I I've really, really held on to something is that Kant described the knowable and the unknowable or the mm -hmm. noumena and the phenomena yeah. and how there are moments in which we think if we were to combine all of the human existence of how we encounter God and know God, it still would not fully capture all of God because God cannot be contained. Yep. And I think that's part of the, our challenge with theology is because we want a God we can contain and control because <laughs> that would be easier. That would be way uh, easier. Yeah, totally. But that's not who our God is. So when we see as God evolves in from the Old Testament scriptures and how people encountered and understood God also evolves and changes, 
I think also plays a role in how we know God because how do we know God is loving and God is good all the time while God allowed or caused or called for genocide? What is, and, and to wrestle with that a little Mm -hmm. bit more, um, can really be uncomfortable, but also I think really challenge us as followers and believers. Definitely. My first my first day at seminary, I like I didn't have the hundred questions, but I was like, I'm a fish out of water because I had a bunch of people that took like religious and, and philosophy mm-hmm. classes and there was their undergrad. Mine was yeah. liberal studies. Okay. So here I am in like at ILIF, and so I'm sitting there with Google and my book, like my <laughs> handbook, my <laughs> theological handbook, <laughs> side side by side going. And then I realized suddenly no, they don't all know what they're talking about. We're all learning this together. Yes. This is what seminary is. Yep. Same team. But like speaking from the other side of that experience, like I have a degree in theology philosophy, in philosophy. That's my undergraduate. Right. But even then when I got to seminary, I was like, y'all are way smarter than I am. And I don't, I'm not worthy of being here and I don't belong here. Like I'm just, I'm just me with all of my warts and, and, and nerdiness and whatever else about me. And I, I mean, it took me a little while to find that sense of community in seminary as well. Yes. I eventually found it. I um, mean, you know, some very dear friends that are dear friends to this very day. But it, yeah, it was a very kind of almost othering experience until you got until you got to it. Right, yeah. especially if you saw things differently. So one mm-hmm. of the things that uh, I appreciate you and letting me be me is that you understand my brain will see things in a different way with crazy analogies and. Um, different pop culture references and all that. And so when I have these folks who were so steeped in the academics right, that had this background of religion and philosophy, and here I come, California girl, <laughs> with liberal studies degree, now living in Colorado, I, there was at one point in time they looked at me like, what are you doing here? And then all of a sudden I was like, but what if we did this? And what if, like, I hear it this way and I made up a song uh, so I could remember Abimelech because we had to do, like, I'll sing it to you. Don't worry. You can have this in recording forever. But, like, trying to, we had the, um, like, IDs where you had to, who is the person? Like, you'd you'd get a word and you had to identify who or what it was where it's found in the Bible, like, and three facts about it, right? So Abimelech, and they're like, how do I remember Abimelech? I'm in the study group. I'm way behind. And they just kept saying Abimelech. And I'm like, Abimelech, 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 Abimelech. In the judges, the mighty judges, Abimelech kills his brothers. And in judges, he's son of Gideon, and he lives in Shechem. Suddenly, we had all the answer we needed right there in a stupid song that my brain works. They made me sing it for my professor, who is this, like, crazy smart Dr. Mark George, who just giggled at me. And I thought he, like, thought I was the most ridiculous person. He put it on our final, and you you could tell when everyone got there. (laughs) Because they all were like, (laughs) and I was like... That's right. That so is a I, Peggy win. Yes. Right. I made up songs. Yeah. Jeremiah was a prophet, the youngest of them all. Israel should have listened to the words he said, but oh, how they did fall. Right. Like, 
it became this a is thing. why we're friends right? by the way so, yeah right? but all of a sudden my just who i am intersected with this academia in a wonderful way that one i got community and two gave some levity so we could breathe yeah to actually dive deeper and i think that's our problem with theology is we get so focused in that we don't take that moment to breathe and see it all as that possibility yeah i had that same problem with grace this week mm. like I, I i was almost like oh my gosh there's so much where do you where do you even start yeah totally like, and, yep. and it's like, well, let's start when you've received grace. And you would have thought it was like somebody just came in and wiped my entire whiteboard clean of memory. Because I'm like, oh, no, I don't know. Like, I know it happens. I know it probably happened recently even, but my brain's not coming up with that. It, it was like pouring water on like an electric keyboard. It's like, nah. Yeah. How did you go with grace? Where did you start with it? Yeah, so I started with an experience of grace um, in my life. Um, I started by telling a professor by telling the story of one of my college professors named Dr. Jenny Bankson and how she extended grace to me when she absolutely did not have to. Um, she had assigned us a paper at the start of class and then said nothing about the paper until the due date of the paper, and she she said the paper is due at the end of class, and I was like, what paper? And all of my classmates have their papers except for me. Oh. And she, like, as she, as the students are turning their paper in, I go up to her and I was like, I, I just don't have this paper at all. And she said, come to my office after class. Oh. <sighs> that hurt. I'm like, that just hurt, you know? Did you guys throw up first? Because I think I would have, I, like, I, I was on the verge, man. Yeah. Yeah. Straight up on the verge. Um, but what happened is she said, I will give you to the end of the week, as long as you realize that this is what grace is. Ooh, I got the gooseies just now. Right? I just got the gooseies. That's, yeah. that's powerful. And, and especially with the position of power yeah. that that professor had to be able to acknowledge the humanity and give that space of redemption. Oh, yep. That's awesome. It's just such an important part of our faith. It's so a, a part of our understanding of who God is. It, it connects so deeply to our theology, but then also to how we practice ministry as well. Where, where has grace played a role in ministry for you? It, it comes in those unexpected ways where you don't even realize that it is grace, um, mm. which I'm sure like if we go really deep into the United Methodist traditions of how we understand grace, we can nerd out but we'll get there we i'm sure we're gonna get there yep i didn't get there on sunday so hopefully oh i did so oh awesome um i think about i remember in one of my um settings i met this amazing family that i was privileged to know and the mom just was frazzled and looked at me and goes i am so sorry we're not there on sunday mornings we work uh, you know, my husband and I, we work at least two jobs, sometimes three during the, the tourist season or the busy seasons that occur. Our kids are all active, so we try and show up for them. So Sunday is the one day that we don't have to get up early to be somewhere right away. And it's not that we don't value church and make it a priority. We also just need that breath. And I said, if that's not Sabbath, I don't know what is. 
church should never be an obligation, but should be something we want to do. And it's about community. And sometimes you got to focus on the community that, that is in your household. And so you show up in other ways. I am not worried. Just know that, you know, we miss you when you're not here, but that's not meant to guilt or shame you, but it's just meant to, to say we value your presence and that, you know, this is, this is just life at this season. But it was that moment of not condemning, not judging, but seriously seeing someone in the situation they are. And I think that's where we overall as, as believers in Jesus could do better. Mm. Because when we're not getting our way or when things are not meeting our expectation, we, we, we feel those big feels that come up. Absolutely. But instead of taking into consideration someone else's journey in that exact moment, we, we understandably are selfish and that we forget to, to offer that grace and that grace can be so transformative. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where I think, you know, there, there's entire social media movements, right? Of don't be a Karen. Sorry right. to anyone watching that's named Karen or yes. listening. I'm the, sorry. The Karens in my life are very lovely people. But. Yes. But recognizing that that's become a terminology. And sometimes sometimes there's some validity in their reaction that when we only see part of their story, they're being defamed, so to speak, slandered. But I also think how often could that have been changed by just a moment of grace? Right. And, and I'm talking like usually the customer service where you see the tantrum right. versus I am going to bat for a loved one that someone has interpreted as that's being a Karen. Mm -hmm. um, like, I think, I think that's where we've, we've stopped seeing humanity as um, that Imago day, right? Yeah. The image of God within each other that, we, we've, we've lost that to be able to offer grace. And that, that's sad to me. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if it's because we've also stopped learning how to interact with each other thanks to technology and, uh, you know, we were right. all isolated for several times. Yeah, you know. exactly. Two years sure of social these... distancing. Yeah. I mean, it has to have had a, a, an effect on people. Right. But we know there were people who were jerks before. That. I'm fair. <laughs> and social media highlights it more frequently. It might have happened as frequently or people are becoming more bold. I'm not sure which. Right. Yep. So. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone turns immune. They, they whip out their phones at the slightest, you know, hint of drama. And then it escalates and, and then, it, then it gets taken out of context. And yeah. And instead of pulling out our phones, maybe those are times that we need to interject. Yeah. To invite people. Like, I know there are certain times you don't tell people to calm down. That's just going to get worse. Yep. Fair. But there's also moments when you're like, we're going to remove from this situation or we're going to remove someone else from this situation. And yes, you keep recording to keep safety. I'm not. We don't need 15 videos. Yep. But when we have 15 videos and not one person interjecting, I think that's when we also need to recognize the role we play. Yep. As those that bring grace. Yeah, definitely. Right. Because uh, on Sunday where I went with, because I, again, I just, there was so much for grace. Like I tried to talk a little bit about baptism and communion, but where 
the heart of it really went for me where I felt God was leading is telling John Newton's story. John Newton mm-hmm. is the author of Amazing Grace. Yeah. Um, and, and I did a little research on who this man was. He was not, he is not the person you would have expected to write Amazing Grace. Okay. Um, he, but at the same time, he's exactly who you would expect when we understand fully grace because uh, he had a colorful childhood at six years old, his mom died. And so he was raised by his stepmom because his dad was a shipping merchant. So he was out at sea mm-hmm. a lot. They also sent him to boarding school, both a stepmom, dad and uh, boarding school did not treat him well. Mm. And then as he grew up, he joined the Royal Navy, but had a problem with authority. And so he did not listen to his captain. He would often overstay his leave. So he would desert his ship. Like oh, all geez. of these things that would get you in real big trouble in the yeah. 1700s. Um, to the point he was put on a slave ship and he would be punished and have to be like chained up with the slaves. And, and because mm-hmm. he was that disobedient and get this, he had a mouth that made sailors uncomfortable. <laughs> right? Now, now we sometimes will make the joke that we have colleagues or sometimes ourselves will have mouth of sailors. So like to make a sailor uncomfortable. Yeah. Wow. That's saying something. But, but here, like, so, okay, because we know Methodist history and we can nerd out about this. There's a storm because of course there's a storm out at sea and uh, where he was standing, he had like taken a few steps forward a moments later, a wave washes over the deck of the ship and a crew member gets washed out to sea who was standing in the same spot John Newton was standing. And then, so he and another crew member like tie themselves onto the deck of the ship so that they won't be washed out to sea. Sure. And in a cry of desperation, because he did not believe in God anymore, was like, God have mercy. And they, they weathered the storm and he survived which caused him to start to reevaluate. It wasn't an instantaneous, I believe in God. It began sure. that, that journey. Yeah. And then over the years, he became a priest. And then he also started to help it to stop the slave trade. Uh-huh. <laughs> like he, he moved in that. And he, as a clergy person, penned amazing grace. Because if God could bring him from where he was at of a disobedient, foul mouth, man of debauchery into the priesthood and calling for salvation and grace and hope and love. Like where is grace except in that? And so as he see, as he writes this epic poem that then he's also around the late 1700s as the Methodist move into the colonies after John Wesley also had a very scary experience on a boat that caused him a crisis of faith Yeah, that then led him to understand how by grace he has been saved, not for his own, but for the good news of Jesus Christ as God's accomplishment and handiwork that yeah. he's called to do something. So though they paralleled and then intersect and really took hold here yeah. so that that's why amazing grace is such a traditional and powerhouse of a hymn in the Methodist tradition. And I know it yep. is in other traditions as oh, well. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. But now it almost, it always seemed to stand out to me. I never understood why mm. until doing the research for the sermon. Yeah. That's awesome. But that would get us into, I'm sure what you talked about in yours, 
that whole provenient justifying and sanctifying grace because i mean it's all right there it is the oh stories. yeah for sure definitely definitely so how did you how did you get there because yeah. i couldn't get there on sunday no totally i hear you um yeah so what i ended up talking about was just a real strong definition of what sin is um you know by talking about like because Paul in the book of Ephesians is going so much from the dark to the light in that scripture of like, you were dead in your sins and you yeah. were pursuing your sins and that led you nowhere. And you, by grace, you're saved through faith. You die to those, you know, you, you end up dying to those old ways of life. And then you become transformed into, you know, one of the commentaries I read that I didn't get into the sermon said royalty. You're transformed into royalty. God makes you through Jesus. You rule in heaven with him. Like you, you're, you're a prince and a princess and that's amazing, you know, but then it's for a purpose getting back to that right. where, 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 where verse 10 jumps in there. Um, but I just talked about how, Sin is such a reality of our lives. Um, and then using the words in Greek that he uses of hamartia and peripatoma, um, talking about the hamartia of the missing the mark, um, and yeah. then peripatoma literally means to slip and fall. And oh. so we will, you know, as as people that have sin in our lives, we have that's that that's gonna happen. And despite our best efforts, we're gonna sin, we're gonna fall short of the glory of God, again, from Paul writing to the church in Rome. Um, but then I said, all is not lost because of our sin, because eventually we awaken to the reality of grace. Eventually we awake to the point that God's been with us in the midst of all of it. Now right. that, that piece of prevenient grace and then talking about how, in a, in a Wesleyan context, that's what we call it, prevenient grace before we need it. You know, and then walking, you know, as a, as, as that grace continues to work on us and continues to refine us and make us into God's creation that Paul calls us, you know, we come to that saving faith, that saving grace, that justifying grace for by grace, you are saved through faith. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are justified before God. And then eventually, as you continue to live, it's all a process it's all a process. You continue to live. You can let Jesus have more and more control of your life. That's where it gets into the sanctifying grace, where we are made more and more like Christ, where we take on that part of being God's handiwork for the work that God has for us to do. Um, so that was kind of how I walked through um, walked through the the order of grace to borrow from our ordination paperwork. Nice. So I'm going to steal this. I'm like I, I'm going to put this out to to the world of the podcast that follows it, or the people that follow this podcast. I'm stealing this when we talk about in two weeks salvation. Oh sure, yeah. For grace to get into salvation. Yep. Because they go hand in hand in the way that Methodists understand salvation. Yep. That it's not. I mean, it's we can't do anything, but at the same time, we're called to do stuff. Right. Because they're not yeah. means of salvation; they're means of grace. Yes. Because we've experienced it, because we have been saved, yep, we have to let others know that they are not lost and forgotten and loved. Mm -hmm. And so it's not us, our job to do the saving, but it's our job to extend the grace so that people can enter into that relationship with Christ. Absolutely. Which, you know, as we get into it, that's going to lead us into next week, this coming Sunday, Mm -hmm. because it's evangelicalism as we reclaim it, because evangelicalism is telling people and showing them 
And so again, if we extend grace because of who we know God to be, and sometimes that means we change or we show them a different way God could be for them. Yeah. Because if they've only heard God is spiteful and they hear God is loving. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause how many people are like, well, if I walk into church, Yo, God's going to strike me. Yes, you absolutely. don't want me in your church. I'm yep. like, honey, you're exactly who I want in my church. Cause exactly. it's not my church. Like mm-hmm. it's, I have the privilege Correct. of serving it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And, and I think when we offer more grace, people are more inclined mm-hmm. to be willing, like, well, okay, if if our pastor does that, right. then, yeah, you know, when we, when we meet people where they're at, mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily about a hand up, like, I'm better than you. It's like, no, dude, I'm in this. Oh, I'm yeah. in this together. Exactly. Like, I think this, the God's provenient grace goes before oh. us in the way that this, the series is laid out. Yes. To start yep. with theology, to move into grace, mm-hmm. evangelicalism and salvation into that, what we call uh, theodicy of why bad things happen. Yep. Which is like the age old question. And we're oh, always yeah. trying to define yep. into what is truly faith. Mm-hmm. Like, Wow. This yeah. is this is laying it out in a way that I hadn't even seen yet. <laughs> yeah, as we've me too. been working on. It. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. I always tell the congregation, like, I'm not smart enough to have this happen on purpose. Like, just straight up, like, I am not that creative. I'm not that clever. I'm not that smart. No. Like, this is totally, yeah, yeah. I I I'm open to how God's using me, but it's clearly God leading the way on some of this stuff because I'm like. There are moments when even I'm like, ooh, that 100%. was good. That wasn't me. That was. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Uh, yep. Yeah. There are those moments when I'm like, hey, I thought of that. And then that's usually when I get a piece of humble pie. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, oh, yeah. Yep. Not about me. Not about you. Not, Not about, about me. Not about us. Yeah. Yep. No. I, I, I think. I think when we talk about grace and remembering that God goes before us, there are those moments that we can physically or tangibly or very realistically feel God's grace is so powerful. When I felt my calling in a ministry, I was told I should be a deacon because okay. of my passion with working with youth. I should really hone in on that. Mm. And I was like, yeah, yeah, but no. And they're like, well, why not? I said, because I'm called to the table, mm. I the table is such a beautiful thing, and um, that's that's my calling, and yeah. and and to be able to offer grace, and they're like, well, you know, in true pastor form, well, tell me more about that, Peggy, and here I am, <laughs> like 19, 20 year old Peggy. Well, it's like, well, I it's like mom's family dinner. Like every Sunday night was dinner at the. Stemson household. Stemson's my maiden name. Uh, And it didn't matter. Like, mom just said, are you bringing a friend? It didn't matter which friend, whatever. Like, she always made enough of something that whoever showed up was not only going to get fed, but going to leave full. Mm. If you left that table hungry, it was your own choice. And this state, like, I, we had a leaf in the table. Like, it it held, nice. like, 
12 people easily, I think. I don't remember. Sure. Maybe that's just, you know, smaller Peggy thinking about this. Right. Like, no, that's fair. Younger, I should say. And once you had dinner with us, regardless of circumstances, you were family. Mm. You were always welcome back. There were very few people and very few times that folks were not welcome back at the table. And mom, like all of my friends who came to dinner, you were, you were her kids. Mm. And that is what I, I always viewed what it meant to be an elder in the United Methodist Church is this table. It's not prepared by me. It's prepared by Christ through his grace. I just yeah. had the, pri the privilege of setting the table and sharing in it. Um, I'm not better than, I'm probably sometimes less than, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> and that <laughs> this is what it's here for. And I... I think about those moments of why I was called to step into it and the gift. I, I genuinely think I have the gift of hospitality and, and what that looks like. And that's, I think that's where grace comes in and intersects and just becomes part of my life. I try anyways. I always say I'm grace, I'm grace filled, not graceful. Uh, <laughs> There and what go. that looks like. And I think that's why I struggled so much with trying to come up with a sermon because how do I teach something that's just so ingrained in me in a different way that's not always explainable, but that's that's yeah. what the purpose of the series, right? Like right. that's yeah, so why definitely. we're doing this. Yep. Demystify. I think I still added a sense of mystery in it because there's always the gray. Oh, absolutely. Especially when it comes to grace. Yeah. yeah. I almost feel like during the sermon series, I'm also getting to nerd out for confirmation. Nice. Secretly teaching the whole whole congregation confirmation stuff and yeah. making them remember, hey, did you learn about this in middle school? <laughs> I bet it wasn't as fun as when Clay and I teach confirmation. I mean, clearly. Um, so Peggy, just, I want to thank you for being a part of this sermon series with me, uh, for being, like I told, like I said earlier, a co-conspirator in the gospel. Um, I really am looking forward to digging into evangelicalism uh, next week and then all the, through the rest of this sermon series. Um, what is fun and exciting happening at Madison right now? Uh, we get to host Winter Connection. Ooh. Uh, that's coming up this weekend. So that's exciting. And just all the preparation that happens. For those who don't know that or outside of, you know, Clay's in my bubble. We, uh, Winter Connection is a conference youth event that hosts in three different sites. Uh, one in the Southeast District, so we get to ho host that for Madison, and there's one in Bismarck, and then one in Rapid City, and it's for youth 6 through 12. So uh, that that's just really exciting. We get to do a food pack. We also have like a chili cook-off happening on Sunday. It's going to be a full weekend. Yeah, what's happening in Canton? Yeah, we are looking hopefully forward to a Lenten Bible study, uh, meeting Jesus around the table. So we are going to be starting during the season of Lent, uh, two different sessions of this Bible study about uh, the meals of Jesus and meeting Jesus in the meals. Um, and so we're going to be doing that. One of them is going to be happening at Pizza Ranch for the first session. And then the conversation around food is going to happen. Like, are we going to do just kind of a potluck or a break it into who wants to help furnish a meal? Um, and then the other one's going to happen here at the coffee shop um, here in town at Laura's Lattes. Um, so we're looking forward to that um, quite a bit. Um, we're 
we're also in the middle of February, we're going to do something called Christians Got Talent, uh, which is going to be kind of an old school inspiration uh, with hopefully a new twist. But uh, we just figure that winter is cold and boring. And so let's go to the church and have some fun and sing some songs and just let our let our talented musicians from across the you know entire community come together and 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 sing our hearts out so that yeah, sounds like forward, fun. yeah it's, it's gonna be a really really cool event so we're looking forward um, to both of those things well thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the cut for time podcast uh, be sure to join us here in worship at the canton united methodist church at 10 o'clock on sunday um, either in person or on facebook live uh, eric and i will be back next week with another episode of the cut for time podcast Thanks for listening to our Cut for Time conversation. Join us for worship in person or on Facebook Live Sundays at 10 o'clock Central Time. And now go in peace and serve the Lord.